Hello, and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up on today's episode, we learn more about Bowl Foods' brave decision to move solely to plant-based production. Thankfully, we've just had enough in uh, on the balance sheet to get us through and not have to make redundancies. And largely due to the amazing team, we've been able to develop new 100% plant-based recipes. We see whether consumer demand for healthier diets is changing business approaches. Just from a, from a cost, from a sustainability and from a health perspective, just including plant-based options in, in menus and in product offerings is the way of the future. I think more and more people... And we get the latest results from PwC's drive to get staff to eat more non-meat food at work. Actually, where we are at the end of this year, and these are hot off the press results, is that our current spend on vegetables through the social co-restaurants in PwC offices is 24%. So yes, hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm Edie's content editor, Matt Mace, and today I'm flying solo for today's episode. Never fear, though, as I'm bringing you three exclusive interviews, all focusing on one extremely important topic, the move to plant-based diets in the battle against climate change. And without blowing my own trumpet, this episode could not have arrived at a better time. Over the last few weeks, anti-hunger charity feedback has called for big-name UK supermarkets such as Iceland, Lidl and Asda to offer less and better meat in order to minimise their climate impacts, accusing them of overproducing on low-quality meat. Fast food chain KFC's trial of vegan nuggets sold out in just five hours, while British Formula One driver Lewis Hamilton has announced the launch of a plant-based burger chain across the globe. Latest figures from the FAIR Initiative's updated Protein Producer Index has found that companies supplying meat and dairy to some of the world's biggest food firms, including Nestle, McDonald's and Walmart, are failing to act in line with their clients' environmental ambitions. And of course, the lungs of the earth, the Amazon rainforest, continue to burn as it was found that there has been a total of 72,843 fires in Brazil this year, the majority of which was caused by land clearing for ranchers to herd cattle. Quite a lot to digest there, no apologies for that pun by the way, but it seems we are approaching a bit of a vegan spring. As the battle to raise awareness in combating climate change continues to drive protesters to the streets, one of the most practical, yet perhaps radical, solutions that individuals can take is to shift to a less meat-intensive diet. The reason being is that livestock has a huge environmental footprint. It provides just 18% of calories, but takes up 83% of farmland, with researchers at the University of Oxford claiming that changing diets is the single biggest way to reduce your impact on planet Earth. So, with the global climate strikes set to take place over the next two weeks and either side of that high uh, political UN summit in New York, this episode is looking at how businesses are pivoting market positions, changing products and engaging with staff to help promote plant-based and vegan diets and lifestyles. I'm bringing you three exclusive chats with companies that have made these changes to find out how they were received by internal staff and what the results are so far. So let's sink our teeth right into guest number one, shall we? I am joined by Paul Brown, the founder of Bowl Foods. Uh, you've probably seen some of the uh, the pots, uh, certainly in Tesco supermarkets, um, the kind of see-through pots with all the plant-based food in them. And from first-hand experience, I do highly recommend the Thai curry. So the reason we're talking to Paul today is so he can talk us through um, the companies and, as it said on the website, 
So this is me quoting them, plant-powered journey. Uh, so, Paul, thank you very much for joining me today. Absolute pleasure. Um, so, Bowl Foods is a kind of traditional plant-based food provider, but I'm right in thinking that that wasn't always the case. You, you used to kind of sell uh, chicken and, and fish-based foods as, as well. So your, your, your business purpose to start with, the, the Eat Plants, Love Life strapline, wasn't wasn't originated um, straight away. So, so what's happened for you to kind of pivot in the market and go to plant-based food? So I saw the light <laughs> in a nutshell. So we we launched we launched the brand in April 2015, and the first the first couple of years were a big success. We um, we we launched in a number of the major supermarkets. We had our veg pots and our salad jars and. Half uh, by the end of 2017, 52% of the range contained recipes with uh, chicken or fish, and 48% of the range were suitable for vegans and vegetarians. And it was at this point in time we'd actually just won New Business of the Year at the National Business Awards. We were we'd won other other awards for the for the quality of the products, and and things were definitely going pretty pretty well but I got a lot closer to the food system I read amazing books like uh, how not to die the food revolution watched cowspiracy and uh, it hit me hard a lot a lot of what a lot of the stats that I read around the impact that animal agriculture is, is having on the environment and our health uh, when you get the likes of the United Nations stating that the single biggest thing any individual human can do to help reduce the environmental impact of climate change is, is to adopt more principles of a, of a plant-based diet. I, I knew things had to change, so I made, I made the decision, I made the personal decision immediately to drop all recipes that contained meat, fish or dairy and I don't know how close your listeners are to FMCG, so the fast-moving consumer goods market. Uh, so those are, I guess, the food and drink products that sell in in the supermarkets. But it takes it typically takes the bigger companies between one and two years if they're quick to develop new products, and, and smaller companies, anything less than a year is seen as pretty impressive. So. Uh, I made the decision to drop those recipes, which meant going to the likes of Tesco that you mentioned at the beginning, and and saying to those guys, the yeah, the fastest selling recipes, the Jamaican jerk chicken, the, the Carolyn coconut chicken. I, I told them they'd be no longer available because we were gonna we were gonna become a hundred percent plant based brand, and it was it was a pretty scary time because they would have been well within their right to to say to us back then, well. If you want to do that, then fine, but maybe go away and develop new products, which we didn't have any new recipes to, re to replace those recipes we were pulling from market, and then come back to us with a, with a clear business and, and strategy in a year or two's time. And, and thankfully, they didn't. They supported us with the narrow range of vegan and vegetarian products that we had uh, across 2018. We also phased out all recipes with dairy, so we, we, we just celebrated our, our first year anniversary being 100% plant-based, and 
yeah, never never felt more confident that we're now on the right path. And you mentioned uh, confidence there. It was it's quite a bold um, decision to, to make such a such a drastic phase out. Um, especially you mentioned the, the, the jerk chicken lunch, what was amongst some of your best sellers. And so did you feel any kind of short term losses from that? We were doing at the end of year two over 7 million in, in retail sales. We were one of the fastest growing food and drink launches of our time. And that's competing with the biggest food, food and drink companies of the world and, and a little independent business had, had launched into the market and we're doing those numbers. and off the back of the decision that I made, the business, well, yeah, we reduced the size of the business by 52%. Mm. So, um, and I, obviously, I dropped out of university, so I didn't hang around to learn, perhaps, that, that making strategic pivots like that would probably not be advisable in uh, in the corridors of Harvard or whatnot, but from a from a personal perspective, I, I felt a huge responsibility. We, have a, we had a small team of less than 10 of us at the time. I said I said to the team to brush up their CVs and, and get ready to find work elsewhere because this, this could put us out of business. I, I started the business, essentially bootstrapped the business. I had a, every penny that I saved up um, and friends and family essentially had invested in the business. and. I obviously had to tell them that this this move was was going to put us at risk. This was this was a few years back now, um, almost three years ago when I had the Caspersi Epiphany, and uh, uh, I guess the whole the whole the whole world, certainly in the West, seems to have woken up to the fact that it's definitely better for the planet and 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 also our health for everyone to eat a few more plants. So um, we felt we felt. It was a very, very rocky time because the cost, the cost base doesn't change in terms of the biggest, the biggest cost element of a startup business is is payroll and the office overheads. And but thankfully, we've just had enough in on the balance sheet to get us through and not have to make redundancies and um, cut our cloth accordingly. And, and thankfully, largely due to the amazing team, we've been able to develop new 100% plant-based recipes, replace replace the ones over the last couple of years and um, as a, yeah and, and get back to the get back to the levels uh, and beyond uh, where we were yeah it's quite quite refreshing to see a, a company kind of um, place long-term strategy or, or a necessity to change in the long term over some short-term gains and it sounds it sounds like it was uh, it was it was quite rocky as you mentioned but we're clearly um, in a in a better uh, environment for for that now we've seen a real rise in um in kind of veganism or, or at least people cutting um, a lot more meat out from their diets i know i certainly have uh, and it seems to be being driven by a different reason i i used to always assume that people that kind of moved to plant-based diets did so because of aspects like animal cruelty and whilst that certainly still exists would you agree that there's a kind of greater awareness of the impact that the meat and dairy is having on the planet? Massively, and it's largely being driven by the youth of today who are driving this movement. I mean, I've got nothing but respect for vegans that have been flying the flag and um, have had a pretty tough time of it for a number of decades, and it must be pretty refreshing for them to, to feel this wave of support coming from 
the youth of today and some pretty big powerful influences as well i mean i i i i was that guy i was driving a prius before uber even came onto the scene turning turning the tap off when i'm cleaning my teeth but i was i was brought up in manchester myself and my brothers and we drunk gallons of milk every single day and and I don't think my mum ever put a, a, a plate of food on the table at dinner time that didn't contain meat or fish. And, and I guess we each each generation learns things that perhaps the, the previous one weren't aware of. And um, there is no doubt about it. There is a hamburgerization impact of our forests happening. Animal agriculture is the single biggest reason for um, global deforestation. And it's it's taken thousands of years for nature to create these incredible natural natural oxygen supplies and us only a few decades to destroy them. So um, I do think wherever wherever people stand on, on the spectrum, what we is the single biggest environmental decision we face every single day. And, and I just think it's fantastic that uh, I read in one of your blogs, you called it the Attenborough effect. It's, I think it's fantastic that um, people are taking such an interest in, in food now and, and becoming a little bit more conscientious. Oh, well, I'm glad someone's been uh, reading my blog at the very least, so thanks for that. Um, and did you, when you kind of made that that decision to, to move away from meat, did you envision that we would kind of get to this point where um, climate change and, and environmental stewardship played a big part in, in how people view the foods they eat? Absolutely, but I didn't think it would come as quickly as it has over the last couple of years. We are, uh, it feels like a, a paradigm shift has, has happened and it's it's amazing. I mean, um, everybody, everybody, most people who I know, friends of mine, for example, when I spoke to them a couple of years back about the the massive strategic pivot that we were making, that the, the initial reaction from people was fair play, respect, get, kind of get it, but isn't that just going to make you really niche and aren't you going to struggle to scale? And I think we're probably just a bit worried that we'd be like nine out of ten new businesses that start probably probably fail off the back of it, but I, I was prepared to take that risk. But I guess my point is that if... All, the, all of those same people now are far more um, understandable about the scale of opportunity for uh, for plant-based eating. I mean, YouGov themselves have said that in 10 years' time, most of the UK will be eating a mainly plant-based diet. I don't know anybody who's actively increasing their meat, fish and dairy intake. It, 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 Kantar have said 50% of the UK are um, actively cutting down, which is which is massively since a few decades ago. So, and I think for me, it's, it's, it's often, I mean, there's, the nostalgic, I don't think you can ever over um, state the nostalgic impact that food has on our lives. It's, it's, it's around the dinner table that we often share some of the fondest memories that we have. So I don't think um, we can underestimate how hard it is going to be for lots of people that have been brought up on the 
traditional meat and two veg diet to suddenly cut it all out and go 100% plant-based. But I do think what is happening is people, through their understanding of the impacts that our food choices are having uh, on the environment and also our, our own health. I mean, I was watching the, um, the, the, the landing on the moon um, documentary and Brian Cox talking about uh, humanity and, and he was talking about four million years ago and that not really being a long time ago. It was only in 1900 that the top causes of deaths in the US were infectious diseases like pneumonia and now the killers are largely lifestyle diseases like heart disease and obesity is overtaking cancer, uh, overtaking smoking is the number one cause of cancer. Um, uh, I, I don't think there's going to be any nutritionist on the planet that is going to argue that against eating, eating more plants being a, being a, a quick fire route to making ourselves as individuals a healthier species. So on all levels, it, it just, it's, it's, it's totally inefficient to eat the levels of um, meat, fish and dairy that we are. There's 7 billion people on the planet, there's going to be 10 billion in a few years time um, and yeah we, we need to change and I think it's amazing that there is so much interest, support and desire to, to be the generation that helps make that change. Well you certainly made me feel guilty about having uh, chicken and broccoli for lunch although that is actually the only meat I've had so far um, this week and, and Paul just before we um, kind of uh, cut this, this just, just uh, on that point on that point like for me I definitely don't say any of that in the hope to make you feel guilty or, or anybody else because from a psychological standpoint, that, that's not going to help. I just think if, if people, which is why I bring up the nostalgic reasons, totally, I think it's too extreme for people to get their head around to completely cut it all out together. Making people feel guilty for it is not going to get us to where I, I, I personally dream, dream of us being. But... Um, I just think it's about people being aware aware of the impact and just being a bit more respectful and appreciative of how lucky we are to have the resources that Mother Nature provides and, and maybe just just treat them a little bit differently. No, I definitely I definitely agree with that. And speaking of the resources that Mother Nature provides, I think it's worth just before we wrap this chat up discussing um, Bowles' approach to packaging. I know when we met very briefly at the the Tesco supplier event. Um, you, you work on a showcase and some new plant-based uh, packaging. Our, our audience is very interested in, in what products are being housed in. So do you want to just touch on that briefly? Yeah, so in January, we launched a, uh, a first ever, first ever to UK grocery, which is Bagasse packaging into the prepared food market. So it's Bagasse is made by, it's a renewable resource, which is using, using the offcuts. Um, of sugarcane that we pulp into uh, a little box, so it, it looks for all intents and purposes like a little cardboard box. So it's it's ninety five percent plastic free. It can be um, it can be put in the microwave. It can be put in the oven. Um, it's compostable, so it's home compostable. If you pull out the liner and industrial compostable, if you don't, as a as a brand, we. We don't use any single-use plastic. Every single bit of plastic that we do use is 100% recyclable. 
I'm looking to launch a piece of innovation in January 2020 that is 100% plastic free. And again, a bit like plant-based taking um, such a, the UK and world taking such an interest in plant-based, again, the Attenborough effect of people caring so much about plastic is, is right at the top of, uh, of our agenda as well. And, and where, where we can uh, reduce or replace our plastic, we will do. But I, I do just want to say that um, the circular economy only works if, if everybody does their bit. And we've just got to be aware of the law of unintended consequences. Because, for example, we put one of our salads, uh, our salad jar range, into a, uh, a plastic jar and lots we have a, a campaign that runs hashtag don't waste create and encourage people to upcycle them which thousands of people do and, and uh, recycle them easily and uh, now a lot of people say to me why why don't you just put that into a cardboard box that's more environmentally friendly and sustainable the problem is we our products are 100 percent natural no preservatives additives colorings and if i were to uh, put our salads into a cardboard box, the shelf life would go from six days down to three or four days, and then, then you increase the food waste problem. So for us, it's always just a, a balancing act. The only, the only thing we are 100% sure on is uh, every area uh, we can, we're trying to in, improve our uh, energy use and reduce down the carbon impact of having. Really good to hear. We're having a lot of conversations with um, with sustainability professionals that we work with around that unintended consequences. So it's, it's good to know that Bowl has considered um, all of that. And yeah, the trade-offs between food waste and packaging is, is one that continues uh, to be debated. So I'm sure that will continue well into the year as well. Um, and Paul, we are we are just about out of time, unfortunately. So so thank you um, so so much for your time. Um, we'll definitely be like to be kept in the loop about the hundred uh, percent. Plastic repackaging for January 2020, if possible. So, uh, again, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for taking an interest in our story. So, a big thank you to Paul for that refreshingly honest conversation. It's proof that these business decisions aren't easy, but also proves the resiliency of businesses that do scope out these future impacts and trends and act on them accordingly. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more from Bowl in the future. So that's all for part one of this episode. Enjoy a quick break, if you will, and then join me for part two, where we'll be hearing from Silicon Valley's favourite meal replacement brand. So hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Having spoken to a number of sustainability and energy professionals and being a journalist myself, I'm fully aware that sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day. It's gotten to the point where more than 50% of Brits don't believe they have time for breakfast, while, according to an Aviva Wellbeing report, more than half of 25 to 34-year-olds, the so-called millennials, say that they regularly skip meals in order to keep their weight down. These trends have paved the way for the somewhat controversial meal replacement drinks market. Whereas some offerings fall into that multi-level marketing scheme that many want to avoid, some big players, namely Huel in the UK and Soylent in the US, are becoming trusted brands. Soylent is fairly new to the UK meal replacement market, September 2018 in fact, but it is a huge brand in the US, especially from its origins of Silicon Valley. Uh, The company was set to appear at our ED Live event back in May, but unfortunately had to pull out at the last minute. As I mentioned, there's not enough hours in the day. 
Fortunately, we've finally been able to pick up with the company to see how their meal replacement drinks are meshing with the overall sustainability agenda, both in terms of plant-based offerings and sustainable packaging. So enjoy this interview segment and then join me for the final part of today's episode. So we've heard from a company that changed its business business model and shifted into uh, the plant-based production area based on uh, the founder's own sustainability concerns. And now we're going to hear from a company that has always had that sustainability focus in relation to the, the food and drink that it does produce. Soylent was founded in 2013 with a mission to make unhealthy and unsustainable foods void, obsolete, and wherever they exist. And today I'm joined by the company's Vice President of Product Development and Innovation, Julie Doust. So, uh, Julie, I know Soylent has made some inroads in the UK quite recently, but um, if you could start by telling our listeners a little bit about Soylent and also about what your role is there in relation to sustainability as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, I our vision and our mission has been to change the way the world eats. And what we want to do is really eliminate those unsustainable and unhealthy food voids. So those moments where you just can't find nutrient-dense food uh, to sustain yourself through the day. So we do this by leveraging science and technology to find ways to deliver something that's very convenient, nutrient-dense, and sustainable. So um, as it stands today, Greenhouse gases, uh, so um, as it stands today, our food system accounts for a third of all greenhouse gases and 70% of our freshwater use. So given that our goal at Throne has been to deliver nutrient density in a sustainable way, we wanted to develop products very intentionally to choose ingredients that deliver on a promise of sustainability. And that's really centered around choosing plant-based ingredients. Just to put in perspective, moving to a plant-based diet can reduce your contribution to carbon emission by 50% and your impact on land use by 40%. And um, also using plant-based ingredients has allowed us to make our products more affordable for consumers, so making those options healthier but also more affordable. Um, Soylent has been using its U.S. consumer business to help provide much-needed nutrition for people. So, for example, we have a give-back program that has donated nearly 2 million meals for those in need of greater access to nutrition. We also have a philanthropic program called Soylent for Good that has made financial and product contribution um, to deliver food for people in need, uh, people that are food insecure. So this is a little bit about what our mission is and, and why, we, um, why we chose uh, plant-based ingredients. Now, as it relates to my role, as you mentioned, I'm the VP of Product Development and Innovation, and I've spent my whole career uh, working for corporations uh, leading plant-based innovation. And my passion really lies in finding uh, nutritious foods that are not harmful for the planet. And I saw a really good opportunity at Soylent to do this uh, because it's, they're all essentially solving a puzzle where we want to find the most nutrient-dense ingredients um, that deliver that nutrient density in the most sustainable manner. So you need to be very intentional about each and every one of the ingredients that are used in the product and uh, it's a really nice challenge. And the, the other thing that was really interesting about joining Soylent 
is that they don't shy away from using science and technology and advances in ingredient technology to, to deliver on that mission. And, um, you know, throughout my career, I've been trying to really find the most uh, sustainable ways to deliver uh, ingredients and make food production more sustainable. And in the last year at Sterling, we've made some really exciting progress. And so I'm very excited about the, the next couple of years because we've, we've partnered with some, uh, with some different companies in the U.S. that are also sharing the same mission of leveraging technology to, to make food more sustainable. Well, it's, um, so that's a little bit about me and about Toyland. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good to know that the, the, the future on the near horizon is, is quite exciting. I mean, 2013 as a, as a startup, it's, it's quite a young company in that sense. So the fact you're already getting to that, that stage is promising. But um, just, just a quick look back at uh, Soylent's brief history. Are, are there any kind of challenges that you've had to face on the way when you, when you try to use just that sole kind of plant-based aspect for protein? What were the, what were the kind of challenges you had to overcome? Yeah, um, so I mean, when you think about plant-based protein, uh, some people may challenge, uh, well, would it be as nutrient-dense as uh, dairy protein, for example, because we're really a beverage company, so when we think of, of nutritional shakes and meal replacement shakes, typically they're made with dairy protein, and so we really wanted to be um, conscientious and intentional about the type of plant protein we would choose to deliver on that same nutrient density and make sure that the protein we delivered in the drink was, was complete. And so uh, we looked at a different array of plant protein and really landed on, on soy protein because it's a complete protein. Um, and also, uh, from a sustainability perspective, it's, it's very interesting because it's a, a nitrogen-fixing plant and uh, it, it really has a positive impact on the soil where it's planted. So that's, that's really what made us choose soy. Uh, and it's also grown uh, here in the U.S., so we use U.S.-grown soy. Uh, so for most of our, our production and our consumption is here in the U.S. Um, it made sense uh, to use that crop because it was the, the shortest path to our manufacturing, essentially. And um, you mentioned manufacturing there, actually. That was, that was kind of my next question. I mean, you touched on the fact that it's, um, it's a, a kind of powder that you can then turn into drink, and it's, in some cases, because that turns a meal replacement. So I'm guessing from a consumer point of view, the waste generated is, uh, food waste generated is very low. Does that also stack up in, in the manufacturing process in terms of how much food or ingredients, in this case, is wasted? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge issue for us, and... Um when we uh, develop the product, and, and even today when we look at our new products, uh, we were thinking, okay, so what are the, the biggest challenge with our food system? So obviously we talked about greenhouse gases and water use and land use, uh, but there's food waste, like you mentioned. Uh, in the U.S., it's a massive issue. Uh, 40% of all food ends up in landfills. So given that, uh, we, we really wanted our product to be shelf-stable, meaning that uh, our, our product today and our innovation would not need to be refrigerated. And what that would mean is that um, within our supply chain, we have a lot more flexibility and a lot less waste. And also for a consumer, uh, they could enjoy their products on the go, bring them with them wherever they needed, and have plenty of time to consume them. Uh, so 
because of, of our manufacturing, so even our bottled drink doesn't need to be refrigerated. It's, it's aseptic and completely shelf-stable. So it, it allowed us to use ingredients that, that had long shelf life and therefore reduced our waste and, and also reduced the waste on the consumer side, which is where a lot of the waste happens today, um, especially here in the U.S. Okay, and you've touched on the bottles already. It's a huge issue here in the UK, um, the, the packaging of, of products, certainly food and, and drink as well, um, and certainly in regards to the whole plastics debate, um, plastic bottles aren't the most desirable um, objects in the UK right now due to the fact that you end up in the ocean or, or don't get recycled uh, properly. How is, how is Soylent's approach like to its packaging in, in regards to sustainability? Yeah, um, so it's definitely a, a huge issue and, and definitely, you know, one of my number one priorities here at Soylent. So uh, we're looking at different options to, to change the, the resin uh, in our packaging today uh, for the bottles. They are recyclable, um, but we have a, a project ongoing currently to look at different options like uh, post-consumer recycled resin, um, which is our, our main uh, our main target, so to essentially um, replace the resin that's, that's in the bottle today to post-consumer recycle. So we're currently involved with different partner within, partners within our supply chain to, uh, to address that issue. And what is the demand for recyclability of packaging like in the U.S.? I mean, I've touched on the fact it's such a big issue here. Is... is, is is it similar? Is there a similar appetite for sustainable packaging in, in the U.S. as well that you've seen? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that um, it's becoming uh, a huge issue. I mean, we saw uh, just as, as we did in the U.K. a, a huge uh, backlash against plastic straws earlier uh, this year. Uh, but packaging is becoming more and more of an issue, uh, especially if we're based in California. The state of California is, is, is looking at uh, different ways to limit plastic packaging. So um, it is uh, front and center for consumers here as well. Okay, that's, um, that's good to know. Uh, it's, it's always quite easy to paint the, the U.S. as a bit of a, a laggard when it comes to sustainability, mainly because of... Um, uh, the what's happened with the presidency right now, but it's I think at the grassroots level there is still a huge demand there. And and while we're talking about consumers, it'd be great to get your views on how you feel the I suppose the the eating and drinking habits of the population will change in the near future. It seems like Soylent um, positions itself in the market based on not just the sustainability aspect of it, but also the health benefits of it. Do you, do you see health and sustainability rising up the um, agenda for consumers in the near future? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it, it's, it's happening at all kinds of levels at the moment. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned earlier. Um, plant-based diets have a positive health impact, not just a positive environmental impact. And uh, we're, we've seen many studies uh, show that uh, across different types of plant-based diets. And um, it's even changing the way governments here in North America are making nutritional recommendations. So, for example, earlier this year, uh, Canada released their latest food guide. It's a document that influences menus across school, hospitals, nutritionists, and doctor's office. 
and the new food guide actually recommends a variety of protein sources beyond meat and dairy, which is a huge shift from where it was. And it recommends to choose plant-based protein more often than dairy and meat. And so um, it, it may seem pretty straightforward, but for a government agency to make that recommendation so forward was a huge shift. And it really comes um, at the same time as we're seeing a, a wave of change, uh, of change in people's habits. So just to put it in perspective, um, if you look at milk in the U.S., uh, we've seen that now 13% of all milk sales are plant-based milk, and plant-based milk are growing in terms of consumption in the U.S., whereas dairy milk is declining. So um, there's definitely a, a big wave of, of plant-based enthusiasm coming. And uh, not only in milk, but in uh, also meat replacements with companies like Beyond, Mil Beyond Meat and uh, Impossible Food Drying huge levels of excitement across the country. That's really interesting, uh, especially on the, the government uh, recommendations aspects of it. Do, do you feel we'll get to the stage where there will be, um, maybe not globally, but certain nations that do start putting some quite, um, quite ambitious and, and aggressive um, policy recommendations in place around the fact that meat and dairy should be largely reduced amongst consumers? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to predict. I was surprised uh, personally at, at the shift from the Canadian Food Guide, um, just because dairy and meat are a really big industry and really important for many families and uh, and you know workers across across the two countries, right? And so, uh, making these kinds of recommendations does have a big impact on, on people's livelihood. So um, I think because of those reasons, government's recommendation may uh, may have to take that into account as well, right? So I think we'll see shifts coming from people individually and, um, and also the sheer momentum, right? We're seeing more and more of these products being available. More and more plant-based products are uh, just as just as good as uh, dairy or meat-based products. And I think that's the real key, right? If we want to have a real societal change, no matter how much, you know, governments or doctors could, could tell us it's better, if, if we don't enjoy it, we won't eat it, right? And, and so that's really central to what we're trying to do. We need to make the product just as good so there's no compromise, right, on taste. Um, and so that people can enjoy an healthy option, but without losing the the pleasure of uh, of eating, right? Hmm. Now that makes a uh, makes a lot of sense. And, and so, what, what's the business consideration here? If you're if you're working in retail, if you're working in hospitality, or you are a, a kind of food or drink manufacturer, what what did what did they need to be considering right now? Just from a from a cost, from a sustainability, and from a health perspective, just including plant based options in in menus and in product offerings. Um, is the way of the future. I think more and more people uh, and the younger generations are also much more aware of this and are seeking these plant-based options. So I think from a best business perspective, it makes sense, right? Because you want to be part of of the future trend. Um, and, and also, you know, it, it's about it's about providing variety. Some people are shifting to a more plant-based diet, but they're not shifting entirely, right? And they may. Uh, 
consume uh, meat and dairy products as, you know, as a special treat or as a special meal, right? And and I think that's something that we should encourage. And uh, and from a business perspective, it makes sense to, to be part of that next wave. Mm, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think we are approaching almost a, a tipping point in terms of understanding around it, whether or not old habits do die hard in regards to um, how we how we choose our food remains to be seen. Um, but Julie, we are we are out of time now, and it's been a pleasure speaking to you um, on on this podcast. So what, what's your plans for the for the next couple of weeks? Well, uh, we have some of our work cut out for you. For us, we're we're making a. Uh, uh, some big progress, as I mentioned, on some uh, sustainable uh, ingredients, and we're hoping to launch these products next year. So my my work in the next few weeks is uh, is going to be in the lab and with our partners. So that sounds looking forward to it. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Um, and yeah, Judy, like I said, thank you, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you as well. Welcome back to the third and final part of this Sustainable Business Covered podcast episode. So the growth in veganism is pretty clear. In fact, the number of people identifying as vegan in the UK has increased by 350% since 2008, according to research by the Vegan Society. And it's also clear that this growth is going to impact retailers and food manufacturers the most. However, every business has a role to play in promoting healthy, balanced diets and lifestyles that take into consideration the needs of the planet as well. So for the last interview, we reached out to a company that doesn't sit in the retail or manufacturing space, but still is playing a big part in this growth in vegan and vegetarian food. In October 2017, professional services firm PwC took an unprecedented step of attempting to boost the amount of vegan and vegetarian meals available to their in-house staff. So we've heard from two manufacturing companies that have tweaked their own offering and their own market position to account for this this growing trend in low-carbon, healthier diets that have a a better climate impact. Um, And now we're going to hear from uh, one of the businesses that has been, I suppose, a real trendsetter in opening up this conversation to their own staff and employees. So ever the trendsetter, um, and usually before something even remotely starts to look like a trend, uh, PwC uh, became the first professional services firm to make a pledge to increase the amount of fruit and veg eaten by employees back in October 2017. It was a move which the company hoped would create a healthier and more sustainable workplace. the way that they did that was through the Peas Please initiative from the Food Foundation that brings together both the food service industry uh, and supply chains to basically increase the amount of plant-based food consumption that happens in the UK um, and within commercial businesses. By signing up to that Peas Please scheme, PwC committed to boost uh, the overall proportion of fruit and veg offered in meals uh, from 16%, I believe, to 20% by the end of 2018, Um, And those targets have kind of been revamped as part of a wider pledge that's actually hosted up on ED's Mission Possible uh, wall. PwC has pledged to increase spend on vegetables sold in the restaurants inside its UK offices from a 2017 baseline of 15% to 25% by 2020. Um, That's part of the Peace Peace campaign. It's working in collaboration with PwC's caterer, Baxter Story, who are very well known to ED as well. And joining me to discuss this today is PwC's Head of Corporate Responsibility, Bridget Jackson. Um, Bridget, always a pleasure to speak to you. How are you today? 
very well, thank you. Yeah, exciting times. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. So um, a lot of a lot of stuff happening on the climate strike front, and I believe that um, our diets have a big part to play in that, as we've already explained uh, earlier on in this episode. But um, it'd be great to get from you a bit more info about the the Peas Please campaign, not just in terms of how it was set up, but I suppose to start with, how did PwC decide that this was an area in regards to sustainability that you wanted to focus on? Yeah, so interesting really in this programme, because it came about in a slightly different way to the way we would normally um, evaluate and scope and shape and uh, and implement programmes. We were approached by the Food Foundation as they were looking to launch this campaign and get it set up and running back in 2017 to help them with impact measurement of the programme, knowing it was going to be a three-year programme that they were looking to really see that they did have an increase in the number of portions of vegetables eaten by Britons. Um, as well as the spend on vegetables by Britain. And so they came to our sustainability measurement and reporting practice and asked us if we would help out, which we agreed to do. And that then caused us to reflect a little bit about whether we should be part of that program. And it was pretty straightforward, I have to say, after that, because there's a very strong fit between what Food Foundation were aiming to do and our values, our purpose and our employee uh, programmes. What do I mean? Well, we have a very young and very diverse workforce who are interested in environmental issues, many of whom um, culturally have a vegan or vegetarian diet. And, uh, of course, our purpose is to build trust in society and solve important problems. And we know that following on the footsteps of the Lancet report and others that have come out that a plant-based diet can really help us to make big inroads into the climate and ecological crises we're facing at the moment. So together with an increasing focus on well-being of our workforce, to be able to offer this and encourage and support our people in making healthy food choices was a bit of a no-brainer. Brilliant. And in terms of getting um, your, your employees involved, what was, what was the feedback been like over the last, um, well, pretty much almost two years to the, to the day, um, not too far off? So, so yeah, how, was there was there a bit of a teething issue in terms of getting people to think about it? I know you said that they're quite sustainably orientated as well, or was the, was the pickup quite immediate? It's been pretty straightforward. Um, people who, you know, food is a very high involvement category, and so people who are interested, it, interested in this topic found it very quickly. Um, the feedback has been very positive from them, and interestingly, because we surveyed before and after, there are a few different aspects to that. The first is that, Many people come at this from a different sort of angle. So some appreciated the fact that it's got in environmental improvements. Some were coming at it from the point of view of animal welfare as being one of their concerns. I've mentioned the appreciation that people had for being able to find more easily the food that is their preferred diet, whether they're vegan or ethnic groups. Um, And so uh, lots of people coming at it from different angles. The cited benefits, uh, and this was really interesting, was that people told us that when they um, started to have a plant-based diet, that they felt more energy, that some of them lost weight, that they had better sleep. Really quite direct and quite quick in terms of uh, feeling more healthy and seeing the signs of the benefit of a plant-based diet, which was interesting. And others have just said, well, I loved learning more about food and the environment, and as well as making tasty, healthy um, uh, vegan and vegetarian options available to them. We also offered recipe cards and people have loved the fact that they can take that home and try it with friends, with family and take it outside of the workplace. 
That's um that's really good to hear. And and in terms of I suppose the the percentage targets that, that come with the both the uh, P's police scheme and, and the wider target you've since set. Um, how how's progress heading towards that as we um as we enter towards twenty twenty? We've been really heartened by this campaign. I think what's interesting is that the Food Foundation estimates that 7% of the British basket is um, is on vegetables, um, plant-based, and we need about 21% in order to hit the seven portions of fruit and veg a day that is the guidelines for a healthy diet. Um, as you rightly said, our baseline was around 15%, so we overweighted on that. And we thought, well, let's see if we can get there in a year. We talked to our catering lead, uh, caterer, HR teams, and we thought, well, we think we could probably put a stretch target in for 20%. Well, we hit it in year one. Mm-hmm. Literally, that has been making the food look nice, making it visible, clear labelling, celebrating um, uh, vegetarian and vegan dishes with a programme in the first year that we called Celebrate the Seasons, so that we were able to come around every quarter with something that was really um fresh and different and in tune with the seasons, which is key for food. Um, and this year, we moved into the Veganuary Workplace Challenge, uh, ran a campaign called Vegan Curious, inviting everybody in to learn more about it, running an event, an introduction to Veganuary, and then inviting people to sign up in collaboration with Veganuary to the Workplace Challenge, where they got tips every day. So um, actually, where we are at the end of this year, and these are hot off the press results, is that our current spend on vegetables through the social co-restaurants in PwC offices is 24%. We've got another year to hit the 25% target, so we're well on the way. Uh, we had thousands of people take part, actually, over the year. Interestingly, perhaps, is that the way people perceive their, themselves has shifted as a result of the big annual campaign. So before it, 70% of people said they were either vegan, vegetarian, or meat-reducing And at the end of the campaign, 90% said that they fell into one of those three categories, whilst the number of people who identified as meat-loving dropped by 85%. Um, The other interesting factor was we asked them, do you think that businesses and we should be encouraging you to consider changes to your diet? And 64% said that that we should, which is a majority um, and an interesting number. I would be keen to find out whether that's true in other organizations, but I suspect with the interest in um, flexitarian diets, that that may well be the case because the flexitarians are the bulk of um, the different categories, even when we profile PwC. Perhaps finally, it's just worth touching on something which is harder to measure, but we did have a go, which was about the carbon and the water footprint of the diet that we're serving up in our restaurants. And at the end of year one, we estimated the spend on different categories, looked at the carbon footprint associated with that and the water footprint. And our best guess is that the shift in diet that we have helped to support and enable means that the carbon footprint associated with the food is down by about 20% and water probably about a quarter. Oh, wow. which Which are really good indicators of the difference that we can make if we support employees to make those choices. Yeah, no, those are some some huge numbers you mentioned. Not just on the the survey feedback, but the the anticipated carbon and water savings as well. So yeah, I think it's um, th- I, I think the challenge I've seen speaking anecdotally to some businesses is whilst they want to encourage that healthier uh, eating, how to actually equate that into a <clears throat> tangible footprint like that is a bit of a challenge. So it's good to see that um, PwC are, are striving in that area uh, as well and. And it's great that the whole company seems 
fairly engaged on this and it's fair to say that since you probably started in, in 2017 the conversation around um, the need for more plant-based uh, diets uh, flexitarian uh, as well has has really kind of up to level or two so as as that conversation around low carbon diets becomes more commonplace how do you think that not just pwc but other corporates can really start to raise ambitions in this area yeah, I think there's probably a lot more people that are interested in this than we expect or that you might think. And some of the key things we learned were about um, making this an inclusive discussion. So not setting out by saying um, vegan is the only way or it's the best way or uh, and just inviting people to be part of the conversation and to come and learn about it. And that's where this idea of a vegan curious campaign came from. I think the other thing which is also um, useful to know is that the sales in our restaurants have also uh, continued to grow. And many people worry that if you're changing a diet like that, that it might um, cause a dip in your sales and therefore it's not compatible with revenue growth. But I think it totally is. And interestingly, during the January, there were some days in which the vegan option that we were offering, the plant-based op- option we were offering, was up to 40% of the main dishes sold on that day. So um, there's a lot of interest in it, and I think it's probably worth just experimenting. You know, we went quite easily at this and experimentally at it in the first year because we weren't sure how people were going to react, and that gave us the confidence to go out with stronger messaging and more offering. Uh, and I think for many companies, it's just worth thinking about how could you get going on this and where could you start put more food in that is plant-based. We have a dedicated plant-based offering in our restaurants, but also when we're offering some of the popular favourites, we'll put a vegan or a vegetarian option next to it. So if you come along and there's a cottage pie or a shepherd's pie, you know, one of the favourites, next to it is one which is vegan and vegetarian, clearly labelled. So we're not saying to people that these are the only options for you, but we are making it as easy as possible for them to find these and to try these which I think is a healthy way to go, if you'll excuse the pun. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you, and it's good to hear um, that the the economy side of it as well is also uh, matching up. Bridget, it's been an absolute pleasure, um, as always, speaking to you. And, and as I mentioned at the start, uh, PwC are uh, a bit of a trendsetter. They're a very forward-thinking company when it comes to uh, sustainability. So so is there anything on the horizon that, that PwC is, is looking at right now? doesn't necessarily have to be related to to uh, the, the vegan campaign either. Yeah, uh, we continue to push the boundaries and to invite people to discover new ways in which they can lead more sustainable lives. Uh, so on the horizon for us and the immediate horizon is a webinar about electric vehicles um, in which we'll share the market and uh, the market trends, the sorts of vehicles available, range uh, and changes to the benefit in kind, which are coming in next year. Uh, so that if people do indeed want a and need a personal vehicle, that they can make a choice to decarbonize. And that's quite exciting. We've had a really good response to that. We continue to show and screen the Our Planet, Our Business film um, which is highlighting the climate and the ecological crises and introducing to people ways in which they can help um, tackle deforestation and support uh, nature in a better way. So we're doing screenings of those in various places around Wales, Ireland and Scotland. And uh, there's some more projects which are in the offing for later in the year as well. 
Brilliant. Yeah, it sounds like um, very, very busy. Uh, fingers in many pies to also add my own terrible pun to, to this uh, segment as well. Um, Bridget, it's been a, been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Matt. Speak to you soon. So a big thank you to Bridget, Julie and Paul for setting aside some time to speak to us. And of course, to you, our listeners. Hopefully this has inspired you to make some changes to your lifestyle if you haven't already. I know it has for me. And if you have any interesting stories about switching to plant-based diets, please let us know at podcast at fav-house.com. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today's episode. We will be back very shortly, however, with an episode live from the Global Day of Climate Strikes on September 20th. Uh, We'll be hoping to speak to some of the public and the businesses alike that have taken to the streets and to see how the strikes can galvanise the sustainability movement. If you're going to be taking part in the London strikes, please do drop me a quick hello on LinkedIn, just search for that Mace, as it would be great to get in touch and perhaps meet you on the day. And of course, the usual reminder that these episodes are available to listen to via the ED website, iTunes and Spotify, so please subscribe and download to your heart's content. That's it until next time, goodbye. <laughs>